And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic, joined as always by AJ Maletsko. AJ, how are you doing? I'm good, Arthur. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Uh, another late night uh, up with the Islanders last night in Game 5, and that was a long tough night for anybody out there listening i think uh we were like it like we were saying before we started recording imagine if we had recorded yesterday what a different uh, sort of feel we'd have for the podcast we wouldn't have known what was coming and what was coming in game five was a lot of pain and um you know <laughs> i guess just my first question to you is you know we can talk about what we know about the islanders but for you as a player when you get pumped like that in such a big game how quickly can you recover uh, you know, interestingly, I would say that recovering from a game like that is easier than recovering from a heartbreaking one goal overtime, almost their game. Um, and I know they were like Bush and Edzo were talking about that last night during the broadcast. And to me, if you are that close to winning and you, you know, just lose in overtime or lose by a goal, it's different. They were terrible last night. Everybody's got bad games. Teams have bad games you got to flush it. You got to move on. And and the fact that they just didn't show up and they got blown out is almost easier to just wipe the slate clean and say, that wasn't us. That's not how we usually play. We had a bad night, bad timing for a bad night. We can all agree on that, especially after such a great showing in game four at the Coliseum with that incredible atmosphere. Um, so, you know, it, it, I say that knowing that it's, there is sort of a confidence thing, right. And Barry Trotz has said in all our media zooms, he doesn't believe in, in um, momentum between uh, playoff games, but there is confidence and there is lack of confidence, but I do believe an eight, nothing game when they've been with them in every game so far. And you, they went to game, you know, six games back in the Eastern conference finals last year that I do think, um, this is going to be something that they can just, it's an anomaly. Let's move on. Let's see what we can do back at the Coliseum, back in our barn. Yeah. And as we sit here recording, uh, on Tuesday afternoon, we haven't heard, uh, the edict for the tweet from the NHL department of player safety quite yet. Um, from what I understand, as we're going along here, nothing's been decided yet, but I think they're leaning towards the $5,000 fine for Matthew Barzal for his cross-check to the jaw of Jan Ruta. Um, and I think, you know, it, if Ruta were like very obviously injured, and he did not, he didn't play in the third period uh, last night, so, um, you know, that, that may factor into it. And John Cooper had no update on him today, but that may just be trying to play a little gamesmanship with player safety to see if an injury can kind of tilt the tilt a fine into a suspension. I tend to think it's not, you know, even at the moment, I didn't think it was suspension worthy in the regular season. Yes, it would have been. And I think the five in a game that Barzell got at the end of the second period for that cross check was well earned. And it was kind of indicative to me of the Islanders didn't play like the Islanders. And I think a few guys kind of thought it was a good time to vent frustration. And it really wasn't, you know, Barry Trotz wants his team to carry themselves in a very professional manner at all times. And it didn't feel like that for maybe that stretch of the second period last night. 
Yeah, you know, it's a hard line. I mean, it's a fine line uh, in this terms of having that emotion and having that frustration well earned when you have a game like that, that of course they're going to be frustrated. Those are athletes. Those are competitors. Those are guys that they want to win and they have won and they've been doing, they've been right there and even games they don't win. So when they're getting blown out from start, from the start of the game, they were, they weren't skating with the lightning. Um, so I think that that, that emotion as a fan, as a former player, as you know, if I were the coach or something, you look at it, you like that emotion. You, if they just rolled over and shrugged their shoulders and are like, Oh, well, no big deal. I think that's disappointing too, but it's how do you manage that emotion? How do you channel that emotion? And what do you do now in a game like last night, there's not much you can do that. They were not getting the bounces. Even when they had their flurry of activity, they were hitting posts and they just weren't getting the bounces. Um, so I think that when you look at, um, uh, when you look at the way that they, reacted physically, you know, there were some scrums after the whistle Mayfield got heated. All that stuff to me was sort of okay. I didn't like what Barzell did to me. It was super undisciplined. Um, you know, you had the Ruta, um, Pajot going on in front of the net and then Barzell went after him. It was a, you know, we did have the benefit of the slow-mo replay. Uh, we can, you know, a lot of people I know on Twitter were saying it was glove. It was glove. Well, if you look at it, it was a shaft of the stick. It was right definitely to not glove. Yeah, no. <laughs> it was. And then he jumped on top of him. Right. So it was sort of what we saw from Barzell, by the way, at the beginning of this year, not necessarily that specifically, but how many undisciplined penalties he took. So that's not a great trend, but at the same time, the frustration was validated or valid in my sense, my idea, um, the way I'm looking at it. So, you know, I think that they maybe got it out of their system. That's not the way they should play. That's not Islanders hockey. We've, we've talked about their style of hockey and that's, um, that's not it. Um, I, I do, I, I, I think it should just be a fine. And the fact that, you know, he did get kicked out of the game. The fact that Ruta didn't come back, that's a little bit of a gray, gray area only because they're not releasing anything about the injury. They were up whatever it was at that point, six, nothing. So you're not going to push it. If you have a player like, that you're not going to say, well, come back if there's even a question mark. So I know that they take that into account, but that's, that's a little bit dicey. Um, just knowing that that game was already well in hand for the Tampa Bay lightning. So, you know, I, I didn't, I, I, I really have a tough time as a commentator, as a fan, and even as a former player at how you manage your emotions for good. How do you use them to motivate yourself to play, to score goals, be gritty, be tough, and not take dumb penalties. And that's always a tough one. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there were some frustration penalties in the course of the game in that second period after, like you said, they, you know, they hit three posts, I think, on three consecutive shots to try to get it to 3 1. And when that didn't happen, you could feel, you know, when Nelson takes a hooking penalty, you could kind of feel the air go out of things on the, you know, for the Islanders. And then Clutterbuck hits Palat from behind. Not the worst hit we've ever seen. Certainly a penalty, a two-minute penalty, but clearly frustration. Kyle Palmieri sticks his leg out to trip Blake Coleman. Again, not the dirtiest play you've ever seen, but a two-minute penalty. So the frustration is leaking out. But I feel like the Barzal one, he is standing up for his teammate, who he knows I think is you know is a bit compromised health-wise in Pajot. But I think you know throw a cross jacket and the you know and the guy's back as he's skating off, and then you go to your bench to to go you know to go off the ice for the second period. Everybody can do that, but the kind of the confrontation and then the overzealous one right to the face. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a little bit of exuberant youth and it's, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's a guy like Barzell who's not used to those kinds <laughs> of confrontations having one and maybe saying like, I don't really, you know, if that's Matt Martin or Cal Clutterbuck, I think they know where the line is. Uh, maybe Matthew Barzell doesn't know how to kind of engage in that kind of physicality because he rarely does it uh, in such an excessive way. But like we said, even, uh, even if it's a fine, he plays game six. 
Um, you know, the, the thing that maybe was the most disturbing to me was throughout the course of the series, the Lightning have had a couple of games or at least a couple of stretches, game one the whole way through. And then this, you know, most of the first and second period really in game four where they didn't look very good. And the Islanders were really controlling play. Uh, they got out to the, the three nothing lead in game four and they, you know, they kind of controlled a lot of game one. But you see where the Lightning aren't playing their game. The Islanders are, you know, ahead by a goal, a couple of goals, three goals, and then it ends up being a one-goal game, even though it's games the Islanders were clearly better. This one on uh, last night in Game 5, uh, the Islanders are out of sorts. The Lightning are getting tons of odd man rushes. The Islanders are doing nothing on the forecheck. They're not impeding the Lightning. They're not, they're, it seems like they're almost turning the puck over in perfect spots to let them gain through the neutral zone with speed. Um, and it turns into an unbelievable blowout. So that's the worrisome thing to me is that if the Islanders are off their game, they're not able to really kind of hang around the way that the Lightning did when they're off their game. Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting point because you go back to game four, which what an incredible game that was, but ended up being a one goal game. Right. And Matt Martin gets the game winner, of course, the night that his brother-in-law gets married. And that was a great story from the for the Esiason family. Um but you look, you know, they had that that incredible second period, which has been the story for the Islanders through this playoffs. Their second periods, for some unknown reason, have been their strongest period. They've been able to produce a lot. And that night, uh, was that Saturday night? I don't know. I can't keep track of the days anymore. But It was, it they, was Saturday <laughs> night, I think. Uh, and these games at 8 o'clock, by the way, no matter win or lose, it's just, it's late. I, I'm like, give me a 7 o'clock game, NBC. But um, anyway, they they have that great, that great second period. And even though they it's not that they necessarily took their foot off the gas. Maybe they did a tiny bit, but they do come back and point gets a goal. And, and, you know, of course, point now eight straight games with a goal. So that's, that's an incredible story from, you know, if you're just a fan of hockey or if you're a fan of the lightning, I know that Islanders fans don't want to hear that. Um, and they have that moment where they give up two quick goals and suddenly it's a one goal game. Barry Trotz called that timeout and they regained and they were able to lock it down and win that. But you know, the fact that, uh, to me, that's a little bit of the experience that Tampa Bay has, and a lot of it is the depth that they have. And I know we've talked at length about the good depth the Islanders have. It's a little different, though. When you have Tyler Johnson on the fourth line, I mean, and he was probably the playoff MVP for their team back in 2015, it's a different kind of depth when um, when you have people like that scoring goals and, uh, you know, Pat Maroon's on their second power play unit and uh, – you know, it's just a, it's an interesting concept that when they aren't playing quote unquote, their best game. And I don't, I know, according to Coop, they didn't, but that of course kicked off Islanders fans because they didn't give the Islanders any credit, but he didn't like their game on Saturday night and they still made it a one goal game. So it is a little worrisome. I still think that the Islanders, if they can get a lead, they can lock it down. And, you know, I think I was interested that Barry pulled Varlam off. I didn't think any of them were really soft goals. And I think that's a tough, tough place for Sorokin to go in. Um, I, you know, I think it's a wash I, it, or it's an anomaly, not a wash. That's the wrong word. It's an anomaly. You just got to get rid of it, move on and see if you could jump out to a quick lead like they've done before and withstand the pressure that you know the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to put on you, whether it's in the second or the third period. They don't give up. They have sort of a surgical precision about the way that they go about their games. And the Islanders have proven that they can they can handle that. It's just not the same as the way the Tampa Bay Lightning can handle their leads. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, again, um, from your playing days, AJ, we have to talk about Ryan Pollock's play at the end of game four. Um, oh, good. Let's talk about game four. It's way more fun <laughs> to talk about game four anyway. Exactly. Sorry we started with the bad news fans, but that was the most recent one. Uh, but we're going to go rewind back 48 hours earlier from that when it was complete euphoria and shock and everything else at the end of a game. And, you know, I'd say between the two of us, we've probably seen a couple thousand NHL games and a few hundred NHL playoff <laughs> games. And I can't remember a game ever ending on a play like that. And I don't know if you can. And, uh, you know, as a former defense defenseman, um, have you ever, you know, just basically, you know, take us through the mindset of where it's, you know, it's, that's an instinctual play by Ryan Pollock. And how do you get to the point in your career where you're like, Oh, the net's open. The guy's about to score. The, the horn's about to sound. We're about to go to overtime and blow a three-goal lead. I'll just get in here and stop it and not put my glove over it. And, all, you know, there's about 50 elements to that thing that are just incredible that they all happen at the same time. I think that some people are just built like that, right? If you grow up playing defense or not, and they're just, they see, it's like you say, it's instinctual. It happens so quickly. And, um, you know, before I even get into that, I, I will say Ryan McDonough's play was insane. I know Ryan Pollock's play was beyond and what we all want to talk about, but it was also a really nice play by McDonough to recognize that Varlamov was being very aggressive, way out of his crease. And he does that spinorama and virtually had an open net. And then Pollock comes across to save the day for the Islanders. So it was a pretty crazy sequence um, in, for a lot of reasons. Um, but I would say that as a defenseman, I have, I mean, I can't say that I've done it with two seconds on the clock or anything quite to that heroic n- nature, but I have snuck behind my goalie and made, you know, blocks like that. And and I've also snuck behind a goalie and not made the block, right? It's gone <laughs> by me. And and that stinks too. When it's like, you know, they rip it top corner and you're like, oh, okay, that's actually, you know, and, and I've tried to save it. Your instinct is to go up and you don't have padding on your hand. So, it, you know, in some ways you're like, oh, do I want to break my hand or do I, you know, whatever it is. But, but, you know, I actually remember when I was at Pee Wee, so I don't know, middle school, we were in the state championship game and I slid behind my goalie and made a save that like pushed the puck out of the crease. And I was the only girl on a boys team. And of course the boys wouldn't say anything, but the goalie's mom pulled me aside and was like that, that was, he owes you. That was huge. But none of the boys would have, would have told me that. Um, so, you know, I do think that there's the mindset is keep the puck out of the net, whatever you can do. And I actually liked what Ryan Pollock said, make yourself big. That's all he was trying to do. And what's really impressive about it is that he didn't get a penalty on the play because if he closes his hand around the puck in the crease, it's a penalty shot. And I still think that's a good play. I mean, that's a sure goal if he doesn't do that, no matter what. And if he closes his hand on the puck, now a lightning player has to come down and try to score and you've got Varlamov versus a lightning player. With so one second on the clock in a 3-2 game. With one. Also. <laughs> right. So so pressure galore, but it, that's still 50-50 at that point, right? Whereas if Ryan Pollock doesn't come yeah. across, it's a tied game. You're going into overtime. So, 
you know, I think that it's, it's fantastic that he didn't take a penalty and that's really impressive that he had the, you know, he kept his hands down and he just brushed the puck aside as opposed to closing his hands on it. But it's, um, you know, for him just coming across and blocking it. And you, you think about how much net there was for McDonough to look at, but he's also in a spin on his back end. He's not looking at the net. He thinks he's got an open net. So, you know, if you have somebody on your forehand there, that's still a lot of pressure. But again, he could pick a corner, go upstairs, and that's a lot harder for Pollock to save. Uh, and this, the, partly the stars aligned, and partly Pollock just made an insane play. I mean, that was I, you could watch that over and over and over again. And I don't know if you've seen people on Twitter saying Pollock for Vesna, which I think is hilarious. Uh, <laughs> and so it was, you know, overall, I think in terms of the mindset, it's it's instinct, it's desperation, and it's just doing everything you can to keep the puck out of the net. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and it it obscured a little bit um, how well the Islanders played in that game. Obviously, the, the dominant second period to get the 3-0 lead. But even when Tampa made it 3-2, they scored two goals on three shots in the first, whatever, six minutes of the, of the third period before Barry called timeout. And I wanted, you know, I, I had asked Barry um, the next day. That was the second time that Barry had called a timeout uh, after his team kind of had a big lead whittled down. The other time was game five in Boston where they were up five, two and the Bruins made it five, four and he called the timeout and he wasn't yelling. He wasn't, I mean, he was probably yelling to be heard because the, the building was loud in Boston. And I'm sure the building was still kind of buzzing at the Coliseum when Tampa made it three, two, but just, just reminding his guys to be on their toes, be aggressive. You know, there was a little bit longer time left. There's, you know, 13 and change left in, in game four against Tampa the other night when he called his timeout. But other than the the Kucherov good chance with about five and a half minutes left, and obviously the very last second chance, the Islanders really dominated that third period. Uh, and again, in the Bruins game after the timeout, they they slowed things down. They were controlling the play. They were on their toes. Got the four check back. So, you know, even when we think about the awfulness of Game Five, thinking about Game Four when they did get a lead, like you pointed out, and they were able to even withstand it, and also. We can't leave out the Pollock McDonough play because obviously that would have changed the course of the game a little bit going into overtime. But the way that they've been able to play with the lead against Tampa and keep things uh, even in you know in, a, in that comfortable and an uncomfortable spot, like Barry likes to talk about, uh, has to give you some some decent feeling about this game coming up that that they can put Game Five behind them and also remind themselves that in every other game it's been essentially a coin flip either way. Yeah. And I think that that's something that they can take. And again, that's why we say let's game five is an anomaly. We're done. Move on from that. Everything has been, you know, it does come down to bounces and Barry Trotz in the past has talked about hockey gods and, you know, you got to fight for your inches out there and work hard and you hopefully will, um, um, get, get rewarded by that. Um, and I think that that's, um, with Barry Trotz, that's what he goes on. If they play the right way, they're going to figure it out and they're going to get their chance. Um, and they also know what they're going up against. They know that they're a great team, but they also, they know that the Tampa Bay Lightning, they won last year. They know what they can do, but they have, they, now the Islanders have the experience to say, we can do that too. We can skate with these guys. We took them to six games in the Eastern conference final. And by the way, that first game last year, and I think we talked about this last week, maybe that eight, two loss right. at the hands of the lightning. I mean, that was a little different. They had to travel to the West bubble and there were all these things against them. And again, that was sort of the anomaly, but there was a reason for it. There was no reason for last night's debacle um, other than just whatever it was, something happened. Um, and so I, I, but I do think there's some, there is some confidence to take in 
everybody talks about the power that Tampa Bay has and you get Kucherov back after missing the entire regular season and everyone's complaining about the salary cap and all these different things that are going on with Tampa Bay and you look at where the Islanders are and other than last, again, if we did this podcast 24 hours ago, we'd say we would be talking like, Hey, this is pretty good. They got to feel really good about themselves and take confidence in the fact that they're in a good position. And uh, I, I guess there really isn't anything to debate. We talked about Verlamov being pulled. None of those three goals in the first period were on him. It was that first period was, you know, even though Tampa put up five more on Elias Sorokin, the, the first period was really the, the kind of the deciding fact where the owners got nothing done. And uh, a bunch of bad bounces really led to the three goals, which usually sounds like a poor excuse afterwards. But I think if you look at those three first period goals, um, they were all, you know, one was a deflection, comes right to Stamkos in that goal in the first minute. Second one, Gord centering pass off of Andy Green and in. And then the third one, the Killorn goal, which bounced around in front of the net off of, off of a couple different bodies before it trickled in. Um, you know, I think a smart move by Barry to, to pull Varlamov. Sorokin had to kind of, you know, eat it a little bit to, to stay in there and withstand what was what you knew was going to be kind of an ugly one. Um, but obviously, you know, it's going to be Varlamov in the deciding game. And, and I think uh, we're back to the point now where it's his net and uh, we'll see where they go with it. Right. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't think anybody thought that that was Varlamov's fault, but it does save him a little bit. Saves the team, saves, you know, it gives him a break too. Sometimes I mean, you look at what's going out in the West and North division and Flurry had that, that, that gaff and then, but then giving Leonard the, the start the next time. And it looks like uh, Flurry is going to go back in that tonight from what I've seen, but it's sometimes it's also just a mental break, right? We talk about the physical grind on these goalies, but there's a huge mental component too. So for Varlamov, who's been amazing for them, you know, he lets up the three, not his fault, but, you know, Barry Trotz early on sees this is not going to be our night. And maybe you switch goalies and it ignites something and changes the momentum or does something. And if not, like what happened last night, then you're absolutely right. It saves Varlamov. He's going to be ready to go tomorrow night. And uh, and it's it's a good situation for him. And you're right. Sorokin eats it, but that's fine. He's he's young. He's got to figure that stuff out. And, and that's part of being a goalie. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So yeah, they won't change the goalie uh, for game six. Do you feel like there should be any other changes? I mean, it's hard to pick out one guy who should come out of the lineup when everybody sucks like they did in game (laughs) five. But, you know, we do have Oliver Wallstrom waiting in the wings. There was talk, you know, certainly generated by those of us in the media about after game three where they, you know, didn't really produce a whole lot of offense, whether Barry should 
put Wallstrom in for either Travis Ajak or Leo Komarov. He didn't. They produced enough offense to win game four. And then we have the game five clunker and Wallstrom still waiting in the wings. Do you feel like it's still ride or die with the 18 that they have? Or do you want to make a change <sighs> to to kind of give them a little bit of a boost and give some give them some fresh legs for such an important game? Uh, that's such a good question. And this is why Barry Trotz gets paid the big bucks and you and I do not. Um, but I, um, it's so interesting because I still think that you throw away last night's game. So then you stick with your lineup and there it's Ajax has done. I thought in the early part of the series, he was playing really well. I do think that, you know, even in game four, it was, um, you know, sort of interesting just to see, I thought he made some good plays early on and I actually marked them to talk about in the, post game show. And then, you know, and then there were a couple of giveaways, a couple of things that happened that it's just, it's interesting to watch that. I would love to see Wellstrom out there, but he's been out now for some time. And is, does that give them a shot in the arm? Does it help them on their power play? That's where I would like to see Wallstrom back in. I think their power play could really use his shooting and his scoring. Um, so I, I think, um, it, it, so yes, I would like to see Wallstrom get a chance. I, and again, I don't, I don't know that Barry Trotz will do that because I also think that he likes his guys. I don't know who I would take out Zajac or Leo. I really don't. Um, my gut tells me if he puts Wallstrom in, he'll take Zajac out. Um, uh, but I've been wrong more times than I've been right. What do you think? Yeah, that's, I mean, if you're going to make the change, which I agree with you, I think they should, you know, I think you've got this young guy who's Fully healthy now, you would think, uh, a few weeks out from his injury. Um, he's a kid who seems like he's kind of unaffected by the moment. He certainly didn't seem to be affected against the Penguins very much. Um, and I think, you know, <clears throat> the thing that we saw with uh, with Barry switching Kyle Palmieri and Leo Komarov for a few shifts in, you know, for the bulk of game four, um, and then a few shifts in game five, but that didn't, you know, they were never really in it, so it didn't really matter too much. I think you're seeing the problem now as the series goes on with with Pajot's line. You know, Pajot is clearly ailing from something. He doesn't look like himself. He's not doesn't have the same jump. He's still an important player for them. He's still going to take a bunch of draws. He's still a good checker. He's still throwing himself in the middle of every battle. But it's you know he's he's compromised, and that happens this time of year. And there's nothing you can do about it. He's not coming out of the lineup. But I think if you've got Wallstrom with his big body and his ability to get around. I think maybe that Wallstrom for Zajac switch where you, where it's either Komarov, Pajot, and Wallstrom, and then you keep Palmieri on the top line or put Palmieri with Pajot and Wallstrom and, and put Leo back with Barzal uh, and Eberle. Um, I think Wallstrom gives you the boost that you need this time of year. And I think it's, you know, it, it's a big decision for Trotz because he's not a guy who instinctively trusts his young guys. But I think the body of work that Wallstrom's put up this year um, and the, and the trust he should be gaining because he's been out, you know, even that Pittsburgh series before he got hurt, he was with Pajot out against Crosby's line on the road and he didn't, you know, Trotz didn't seem to have a problem with it and it worked well enough. Um, I think you got to go back to trusting this kid and, and hoping that he gives you what you think he can give you, which like you said, is the big shot on the power play to try to open some things up, uh, a real shooters mentality because, you know, Vasilevsky has been really good this series, but has he been spectacular no I don't think so I think in that game against you know in the in game four he was leaving a, a few rebounds he seemed to be affected by some of the traffic in front of him um so I think if you've got another shooter in the lineup that's got to help you 
Yeah. And I, you know, you said something really important there in my mind is that he doesn't seem affected by the big moment. And that's a, a good thing, right? For a young kid, he doesn't see, he really goes to the, seems to go to the beat of his own drummer. He's, um, he, he just plays the same way. He's pretty consistent. Um, and I do think that if you play him with defensively responsible people like Pajot, like Trotz has done all year, you, you know, then he's done great defensively and he's worked hard at it and Pajot's helped him and mentored him. But that's, you know, that's where the distrust comes a little bit sometimes for trots with some of the, some of these guys. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that Vasilevsky to me is, is, I mean, and I said it on the broadcast broadcast when I was working the Carolina Tampa Bay series, I think he's the best goalie in the world. I really do believe that, but he hasn't been tested because he's got such a great team in front of him, first of all, and also just based on, you know, Carolina didn't test him as much as they should have. Um, and I think the Islanders have tested him, but not as, again, not as much as they should have, especially when you don't have an Anders Lee type, um, in front of the net to create that traffic and, and gobble up those rebounds and with the hands that he has. Right. So you put a Wallstrom out there who can shoot, and then you throw whoever it is that can be in front of the net, whether, you know, it's a Paul Mary or somebody there to, just create a little havoc, a little chaos. And and then I think that that could be a great thing for the Islanders. So here we are game six tomorrow night, possibly the last game in the, in the history of Nassau Coliseum. And we say possibly because the series might not be over, even if they win um, and they could still move on. And then there's the vagaries of when UBS arena will actually be able to open next season. So we never can count out, basically you can never count out the Coliseum. It's always, if it's still standing, there's a chance there might be an Islander <laughs> game in it at some point. Um, but you know, and I know you weren't, you weren't in the building the other night, which is a shame because it was the best, you know, Saturday night was the best it atmosphere. It killed me to be sitting <laughs> in my basement studio, knowing that the atmosphere, I could tell, but I, oh, it would have been amazing. Yeah. And I, you know, I ran into Shannon Hogan's parents who were there with their jerseys on and poor Shannon and Butcher back in the studio. Um, it, it, uh, it was an amazing experience, you know, and I've seen, I've seen that place be pretty loud over the last 20 years or so dating back to Islanders Leafs and the Sean Bates penalty shot in 2002 when they finally got back to the playoffs for after a long absence, 2013 against a Pittsburgh team that they probably should have beaten in that series, 2015, which was the last time they closed the Coliseum when they won game six um, after kind of a, a lousy performance in, in Washington in game five. So there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of closings. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, loud moments in there, I, I guess, uh, preemptively, even though we don't want to think about it. Um, can you think of a time that you were in there? And I know um, some of those games in the last few years haven't been the most raucous, but uh, you know, what's your, what's your favorite recent memory of that place? Just being in it. So I, when I first started working a couple of years ago with the, with the Islanders and MSG, we were most, the first half of the year, we were all at Barclays. And so the first game I was back at the Coliseum, I was like, whoa, this is way different. And my apologies to Barclays, but it was, Coliseum just has a different vibe to it. Um, so the, you don't my, have to apologize. You don't have to apologize. That, <laughs> that place sucks for hockey. Everybody, everybody it's, knows. It's, it. Yeah. I mean, even just like the jumbotron is, is off center from the rink. I mean, there are just so many things that are, it's freezing because the, the, from my understanding, the pipes are plastic, so they need to keep it cold. And anyway, there's a lot of things that just are not geared up for hockey. Um, so the Coliseum's different. The ceiling's low. It's, uh, you know, I did have an opportunity one morning I'd left my, um, charger, my iPod charger. Over my, I'm sorry, my iPad charger over at the our little studio over there, and I had to go over the next morning. And being there in the daytime with nobody in it was very different 
it was really, I was like, wow. And like the bowels of the Coliseum with nobody around, no lights on. I was like, this is a different feel. It's much more fun when there are a lot of people there, lights are on and it's a raucous crowd. Um, but my favorite memory, uh, I mean, the other night when we were there, um, I guess it was, was it the clinching game against, I mean, not the other night, it was a while ago. Was it against Pittsburgh? Or was it a Bruins game? I can't even remember, but we were there. We had uh, Ralph Macchio and his son, Daniel, on set with us. And Shannon and I got to be up in the crowd. And it was it was a great atmosphere. But prior to that, I would say it was John Tavares' return. That place was insane. And I was in between the benches. And I was sharing the spot with Ray Ferraro, uh, who's a good friend of mine. And we, were, we couldn't. And we got our headsets on. But when we took them off at commercial breaks or to talk to each other, we couldn't hear each other. And it was so loud. I mean, people are throwing snakes on the ice. Everyone's wearing pajamas. Like, you know, we got all this stuff going on behind the scenes. I mean, not behind the scenes, right out front. But the it was so loud in there. And anytime um, Tavares touched the puck, anytime he got on the ice, and he had just, I think he had maybe just been named captain of the Leafs. And anyway, it was, uh, that was a pretty crazy energy atmosphere uh, that night. Um, so that's, that's what I would say is my favorite memory from that place. I like that. I like that. I, I I'm gonna have to go with. I mean, maybe it's recency bias, but the clin- <laughs> the clincher against the Bruins, uh, Game Six, just last week. Um, that was that felt. You know, it was a more positive environment than the Tavares game, but it had the same sort of sustained energy. It was it was the most. You know, it was the best game I think the Islanders had played in the playoffs. They were ahead from the start. They clearly had you know kind of worn down the Bruins to the point where they just couldn't do anything, and the fans knew it. And, uh, you know, I've been walking around and seeing some familiar faces that I've been seeing in that building for a long time that I hadn't seen for a while because of the pandemic. And just the enjoyment on the fans' faces, whether, you know, even before the game tailgating, just to just to be there. You know, I'm I'm hopeful that this is not the last game in the Coliseum just because, you know, the, the fans want this to this ride to continue and the players want this ride to continue. Um but even if this is the end, uh, it doesn't feel like the end because it it, it it feels pretty special that they all the fans who have been through a lot over the years with this team got to be there for one last run. Um, and even if it ends now, I think it's it's probably still got to feel as good uh, as any playoff trip has felt in a long, long time. You mentioned Ray Ferraro. I think the last time that the fans felt this way in the Coliseum was when he was scoring a million goals in the playoffs in 1993 for them. So it's... Uh, you can definitely feel it in the building. The energy is really positive, which isn't always the case uh, if you pay attention to Islanders fans online. But when they're in the building and in person, they're, they've been a very happy bunch, which, uh, which makes me happy. <laughs> that, yeah, that's true. And you know what? I think that there was a, one of the games, and maybe it was that night that I was talking about. I can't even remember which game it was, and my apologies, but all the games blend in a little bit. Um, and so I, but it was the, the parking lot scene, the tailgate, like the whole thing. It's, it's, it is. I mean, obviously fans can be upset for any team when their team's not playing well. And I'm sure Islanders fans weren't happy last night. Uh, But generally speaking, that whole, the scene out there, you know, the Coliseum has that amazing atmosphere outside. Um, And I, you know, I stay right there at the Long Island Marriott. So I walk across and I took a, I walked a little slower and it took me a little longer because everybody was happy and cheering, playing cornhole and saying hi. And, and it's a great, it is great. And I think that, um, from what I understand, and I don't know if you've taken tours of Belmont, I have not, um, but I've talked a lot to John Ledecky about it. I think he and Scott Malkin have done a phenomenal job. And my understanding is they're going to do some of the stuff with the Coliseum, like the low ceilings, but it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to have going to be much more easily accessible for people from, again, from what I understand. So 
I hope that some of the character of the Coliseum carries over to Belmont. Um, but it's, you know, it'll be, it'll be a little, little, it'll be updated. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's say that. <laughs> yeah. And the character part, I think will be brought by some of these fans, like I said, that have sat through a lot of losing and uh, a lot of crazy stuff over there, over the, the time between the dynasty and now. So um, if they're in the new building, then it'll have some character. Um yeah, that's uh, that's all we got for for this week. Thank you as always, AJ, and uh, we will we will be back with you next week. Whether it's the beginning of uh, the Stanley Cup Finals, the Islanders' first trip there in thirty seven years, or we're wrapping up uh, a pretty successful season, even though it may not feel that way once it's done. We'll be back with you for at least one more and some and a few more after that. So I hope AJ, you'll be back, and we'll be talking again soon. I hope so, and let's hope it's yeah. We hope let's hope we have a couple more weeks. Uh, and yes we will be back with you so uh, again thanks as always for listening Um, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic you may do so at theathletic.com slash no sleep till Belmont to get the latest deal game six tomorrow we'll see what comes thanks again for listening take care